Hello and welcome to the Currency Exchange Now with Lawrence podcast on FX markets. We'll break down the major themes and events driving currency markets for this week. Today I'm joined by Galvin Chi, our Asia FX macro strategist. We're going to look at China, the China reopening, and why investors are already be losing confidence. The start of the year, the Chinese reopening was a big story among investors, and we saw a massive surge into Chinese assets and the local currency. However, investors already seem to be losing confidence and see you know, both bond and equity market outflows. So, Galman, what is the reason for the potentially bipolar behavior among investors? Are they already questioning this trying to reopening and its merits in investment? Yeah, I think even that's a really good question. So it seems like th- there really is, I think, in in my opinion, a kind of a, a two-speed narrative going on here. Beginning of the year, everyone was under position China and the base for sort of the, the bar for surprise was so low. Right? China was the last holdout uh, in sort of that zero COVID narrative. After reopening, everyone rushed in, uh, markets rushing to catch up and sort of move, uh, sort of revise their, their views up. But I think, you know, on the one hand, I think that's sort of taken, that's that's run ahead of itself because you could, the actual economic changes, right, can't actually keep up with the pace, the day in, day out changes that the markets demand, right? So I think it's been kind of natural that some of that optimism has naturally paired back from, you know, the sort of November, December uh, uh, euphoria, right? So I think from that perspective, you know, a, 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 pace, a sort of a downward a sort of uh, revision to that pace of, of, of optimism is probably a little bit warranted, right? And I think at the end of the day, you know, like how much of that sort of additional pricing in of optimism is warranted, you know, that big jump that we had at the beginning, that's over and done with. So I think from here, it's going to be a lot slower going. You know, we've talking about, you know, the end of that easy catch up part is already here. I think you, you add on, on top of that, you know, what's been happening in January and February, you know, we've had increased global worries about the Fed, about US inflation, I think overlaps as well uh, with the sort of a dash of, of US-China tensions, right? We can forget, you know, Balloon Gate or, or the hollow balloon is a, is, a, is a nice one that I've seen. But ultimately, I think, you know, all that aside, what we're seeing fundamentally from an economic perspective is that this growth story really still is unfolding. We're still in very early stages of that, right? So over the Lunar New Year, very strong activity. You mentioned just now PMI data releases. Uh, they came out earlier this week, and, and those actually surprised uh, everyone, myself included, right? Those uh, showed a very broad-based uh, pickup in activity, a very broad-based pickup in optimism, uh, and not just from the domestic side, but also from the sort of export order side. I think that was the most surprising as well. What was also particularly uh, surprising for myself was, or rather encouraging from an economic standpoint, was housing data. You know, we've uh, sort of coming out of last year and, 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 uh, and, and you know, the year before, uh, the housing sector was identified as potentially one of the largest systemic risks to you know the Chinese uh, e- economic superstructure as a whole, right? And 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 you know that the housing sales data, housing constructions, um, uh, housing prices all tanked last year. You know those are double-digit negatives. But early housing sales data for uh, February by a, a sort of a, a real estate uh, sort of developer group, you know, the top 100 real estate developers, the, the sales numbers actually flipped to about 15% year on year positive from, you know, something like negative 30% prior, right? Obviously, it's a very low base. I think for me, that's still very, very encouraging numbers. You know, it's the first steps towards what, you know, is, is going to be sort of this, this bottoming out 
the stabilization of the housing of the housing market. So I think all in all, it's not really a story about the recovery having stalled, about people you know necessarily being uh, suddenly sort of losing confidence. But I think it's the fact that markets can't necessarily keep up with the fact that reopening is going on, but it's going on at an economic pace rather than at a financial market pace. I think we definitely seen kind of that Chinese sugar rush and everyone kind of cried into those positions. Uh, what do you think they need to get back in for us to actually see further inflows? Yeah, I think that's actually a really good question. So my sense initially was probably you need a little bit more of the data, right? Markets have been sort of in this hyper-vigilant data-dependent mode, whether it's for the US, whether it's for, for Europe. And I think that's definitely going to be the case in China. One of the biggest for, for in my opinion, one of the biggest gaps in that, right? The reason for that sort of lull in, in expectations, uh, positioning aside, has been the fact that Chinese uh, statistical agencies aggregate January and February data. So between the data for December coming out in January and the data for January and February coming out in March, that's a two-month window of no official data releases, right? So you think that the Fed's blackout period can be bad. You know, you think two months here, of, you know, no retail sales, no export data, no no you know, industrial data. That's a long wait. So I think markets are probably going to to really want to sink their teeth in to anything they can get uh, come mid March when the data comes out. I admit it's such a good point. I think investors want reassurance, right? They want to know what's going on. So two months without having you know a read on the economy is a long time when you're holding up position. Exactly. I also have to ask you. It is obviously the big national. Congress this weekend. What are you watching? What do you think, you know, could be a pivot point for markets? Yeah, I think that's uh, kind of, it's it's always a little bit hard to tell because with these sort of big edifices of the government, of the, of the, the Communist Party, it's very difficult to distinguish what might move markets and what's more important for the longer term. So going back to this two-speed analogy with China, I think that's definitely the case. Chinese policy is intends to be implemented over the course of you know one year, two year, five years. They play the long game, right? Uh, and and what's going to come out of the National People's Congress is, I think, going to you know the markets will have to sort of sift between what's relevant for now, what's relevant for this year, and what's relevant for you know uh, politics, what's relevant for the messaging and the imaging about what China, you know, the, the sort of how, how can we scrutinize uh, the the minutiae. Uh, and, and read between the lines of the Chinese political edifice, right? So, so a, a lot of different things for a lot of different types of people. So for us, right, I think what's really important is a couple of things. So, so the first thing is is policy targets. I think the main thing that's going to be that's going to come out of this big two week bonanza uh, are, are policy announcements. These have already been likely already have been decided, and this is where they're presented and sort of. Uh, uh, move through uh, the legislature uh, for you know uh, uh, without usually any any objection. But you know these are things like the GDP target, which I think will be very important. And of course, uh, in China, it's well known that GDP is typically uh, the GDP target rather is an input to economic activity rather than an output. So the GDP target is decided first, uh, and 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 uh, sort of the, the governments and and state-owned enterprises typically then try to work towards achieving the target. So I think in this year where uh, you know, the return to growth is going to be a huge theme. Uh, the GDP target is probably uh, worth watching. In my expectations, it's probably going to sit at around 5.5%, which I think has been sort of pretty, pretty firm with the market expectations uh, coming out of last year as well. Uh, 
the other interesting thing that's going to be, I think, a close watch is sort of the politics around leadership and economic portfolios. In particular, this idea of you know who gets the premierships, right? Who helms the PBOC? Uh, who helms the regulatory agencies? A little bit of sort of uh, scrying sort of the party ranks and scrying the government bureaucracy about you know what are these figures going to look like? Are they going to be as market friendly and as well known and as presentable to international investors as the previous generation were, uh, or are they going to be sort of inscrutable as sort of uh, party apparatchiks as as some of the sort of more conservative uh, or, so, or some of rather some of the more uh, sort of downbeat assessments might might happen. Right? That's an important. I think that's going to be something quite interesting uh, as well. Uh, other things that might be interesting, I think, would be anything else that's coming on the property market. So far, there's been a lot of stimulus and sort of uh, the government loosening a lot of restrictions on the property market since uh, late last year. But I think it's always, you know, given the property market is such a large part of China's economy, and given that it was such a key sort of uh, point of weakness in the economy, anything else to think about stimulus, stabilization. Uh, and the direction of travel for that is going to be important. It's also going to be important because the size of China's property market has very far-reaching implications for the rest of the world. Commodity demand, questions about inflation, uh, all inevitably feedback, in my opinion, uh, a little bit you know, to, to this question of, of what's going to happen to property. Uh, and I think lastly, there's this idea that uh, the government has been talking about uh, restructuring its um, a lot of its organizations, right? So this tends to happen, I think, roughly every five years or so. Some of the sort of more well-informed analysts have said. But I think, you know, some people are questioning, is this going to be more market-friendly, more sort of efficient in a way? Or is this really going to be a sort of centralization of power? I think that uh, is, is, is a bit of a is, is, is a question on a lot of people's minds. But I think ultimately, you know, uh, the bias to me does seem that the government is committed to delivering, you know, a, a growth-friendly, market-friendly, you know, economic development-friendly uh, policy tack already this year. So, so perhaps, you know, that's less of a risk that we get a swing towards political centralization and away from, away from sort of the market side. I guess there's a lot of things going on with a need of the Congress. What are to pay double that? Okay, the biggest risk for you know positive risk assets on the back of this meeting, and the biggest potential boost. Yeah, so I think you know the, perhaps the biggest risk is that if if they send this message and the markets take it badly, that it's all it's going to be politics. It's going to be about regulation. You know, this uh, reopening was a bit of a head fake, and uh, you know it's it's really about reasserting the, the the centrality and the authority of you know, uh, of of the government uh, and of the, the Communist Party. I don't think that's going to, something that's going to be happening. Uh, but, you know, as we saw coming out of the, the party congress last year in November, that's the way the markets took it. The markets uh, reinterpreted President Xi's third term as one of centralization of power and sort of increased political risk. Uh, and, and that fueled sort of the risk premium in China uh, uh, fairly significantly uh, over you know, the preceding uh, and proceeding a couple of days and weeks. Um, I think that the big sort of uh, upside risk factor would probably be, you know, if they come up really hard and say uh, that that they want to really start loosening the taps on stimulus. Typically at these sorts of events, they don't really say things, I think, uh, with with that much uh, sort of clarity. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're vaguer than, you know, the central banks tend to be, right? Um, but I think, you know, if there, there's a hint that it's, you know, business as usual, they're trying to welcome back charm offensive, that's going to be probably uh, you know the, the the risk positive case, 
perhaps the middle of the ground one, would, which is kind of interesting, would be if the government sort of decides to say, hey, you know, the recovery is actually going quite well on its own and we don't need to stimulate as much. That could be in a sort of interesting middle ground that could be a little bit confusing, uh, but I think could could sort of trigger a little bit of a, a rethinking about how much the government input uh, 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 will be able to sort of stopgap uh, the, the growth outlook for, for 2023. And on that middle ground, I have, do you think CNY trades lower? Yeah, I think it's it's a little bit difficult to say. I think, uh, you know, on that middle ground, yeah, perhaps perhaps CNY does trade a little bit lower. But I think overall, my sense is that, you know, the growth outlook and CNY haven't actually been very closely correlated. My thesis has always been that, uh, you know, you get uh, a sort of either a, a political shock or, or some sort of quick repricing. Uh, that that has a, a you know the, the ability to, to 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 sort of move the currency uh, in sort of a step function, but otherwise it's it's shown kind of a tendency in my opinion. Uh, if you look at sort of the the if you plot the returns of CNY against the returns of something like euro dollar, those have actually started correlating. Uh, sort of co- uh, those have actually started moving together again uh, after after sort of last November. Right, so so in my opinion, it's sort of like yeah, it'll take a growth, a positive or negative growth shock, uh, or, or, or political shock, for for CNY to sort of really be be, you know, to move on its move on move to its own tune. Uh, but otherwise, I, I feel that there's a lot uh, to be had about you know where the Fed goes, where the dollar goes, uh, where 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 the euro goes, and 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 the like. Mm-hmm. Loads of potential different outcomes coming out of this, but I have to ask you: know, What is our base case? You know, are you still bullish on China, even with these kind of equity wall market as we're seeing? Yeah, definitely. So I think you know, it's I think it's still the case for China, for Chinese growth, for Chinese recovery, still very much there. I'm definitely one who is bullish on on the growth outlook. I think if anything, growth might surprise higher. I, but I just think that this is something that'll be it'll take time to play out, unfortunately, right? It's a multi-quarter theme rather than something we'll see, you know, in, in, in immediately before the end of Q1 or Q2. And again, it's a question about reconciling those sort of two-speed mindsets, right? The economic mindset and sort of maybe the, the financial market mindset. I think that that for me has made it a little bit difficult to think about how that might best play out in FX or rates. For FX, I've still kept my sort of baseline target of, of CNY moving to 668 by year end. So from right, right, right now, it's about 690 down to 668, uh, perhaps a little bit uh, sm- a smaller move than what we saw uh, coming in from sort of November into December. But I think that's the generally it's it, uh, the, the currency has tended to trade uh, with sort of a lower volatility than it has last year. But I think ultimately, right, you know, next year is going to be one about multiple transitions, which makes it quite interesting. I think on maybe like a on a deeper sort of sectoral level, you know, if 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 one were thinking about equities, I think this would be a very interesting time to think about relative equity uh sort of allocations, right? It's a transition out of zero COVID. It's a transition towards more consumption. It's a transition towards, you know, uh, uh, uh trying to localize high tech and sophisticated manufacturing. It, there's the energy transition, of course. And of course, it, the externally there's a pricklier geopolitical environment. So I think all of that uh, is sort of domestically makes for some very interesting, I think, food for thought about how that's going to play out in terms of uh, uh, sort of uh, local domestic uh, allocations and how foreigners might allocate into the local markets as well. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting that kind of different equity allocations you could see, but also because it has this regional impact across Asia. As you think, you know, the new growth that we could see from China will benefit and potentially hinder some um, Asian economies. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really good point. And I think that's really important because everyone's always thinking about China as the biggest, you know, fill in the blank, right? The biggest country, the biggest consumer market, you know, potentially the biggest energy consumer, the biggest exporter, right? It's so important and so integral, uh, you know, a trading partner for so many countries around the world. I think for the region, most clearly, the, the, the quickest thing that we'll probably see is is obviously like the tourism returning and that helping buffer some of the um, so buttress some of those that are that are very heavily rely on China's tourism. You know, Thailand is the prime example, but the likes of you know, including places like Philippines and where I am, Singapore as well, stand to, to benefit as well. Uh, the the other one I think is commodity demand, right? I think uh, a commodity and manufacturing demand, given the Chinese domestic demand, is going to be rising. China is tends to be a little bit more self sufficient than it is. Uh, in in terms of its domestic demand, that it is compared to, as compared to one as a, in terms of its when thinking about its role in global supply chains. But I think you know if Chinese demand does pick up a little bit, countries that feed some of the components put to Chinese domestic demand can can benefit as well. And notably, you know, the semiconductors and story is probably is it probably going to going to play out as well. I think ultimately though, what really strikes me is the fact that you know Chinese growth on the uptick combined with the fact that. In the Asia Pacific region, right, or rather in in sort of emerging Asia ex Japan, none of these countries, even from the beginning of the year, none of these countries have been talking about recession. So that I think, in comparison to the woes that are being faced in the developed markets, the woes that are being faced in you know Eastern Europe or or, or, or the Middle East, Africa, that makes it really interesting. So it's not just the China story, but it's a broader, I think, Asian resilience story. That will come to shape 2023. Yeah, I guess you we're seeing very different kind of regional divergence coming through because in my region, you know, right two out of three see economies that are already in recession. So just kind of clear hopefully opportunities within emerging market currencies. Um, Galvin, have to get your final word on the big debate, which is raging among among economists. China reopening, is it inflationary or disinflationary? Uh, you've cornered me there, Imer. Um, I think it's going to be net inflationary, but I don't think it's going to be anywhere near as inflationary as what we've already seen in 2022. So perhaps, you know, the idea that might keep things a little bit firmer, if anything, uh, but not anything that's going to cause a huge uh, spike. Uh, definitely, uh, that is a note that is uh, under construction on my part, but you know, perhaps uh, with luck, uh, that'll be out soon as well. Actually, there will be a lot of feedback and some, certainly something that is divided at markets and economists. Um, guys, this is about all your time for for this week's episode. If you like the episode, please do hit like um, and also do subscribe so you'll get um, our next edition at the earliest. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>